What's going on, Victory Church? How you doing this morning? Let me hear you. Come on, let me hear you. How you doing this morning? Wake you up real quick, get you ready for what God's going to do. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And hey, if you're visiting with us today, let me just say from the bottom of our heart, welcome. What a day to be here. What a great day to be here. God has been doing some incredible things the past couple of weeks. We, we went from Baptism Sunday to last week was our birthday. We turned one years old, right, church? One years old last weekend. And then uh, I do want to reiterate a couple of things that Pastor Brian and Malcolm talked about. One, real quick, is just growth track. Look, the, the past couple of weeks have been intense, and maybe you've been coming, maybe you're visiting for the first time today, but maybe you've kind of been here and you're ready to kind of take that next step of connection and kind of really figure out. We say here, you're here on purpose because you have a purpose, and so you're ready to find that purpose. Today, growth track, what Pastor Brian was talking about, step one, jump into that. Uh, here's the cool thing is that within the next three weeks, you're going to be here next Sunday because you have a chance to win a 60-inch screen television. So three weeks from now, you would have completed it. You'd be able to be on the dream team in time for our next dream team party, which we're working out right now. So it's just an incredible thing to be a part of a family. And so once again, do us a favor. Go jump in the growth track. We'll watch your kids. You get 30 minutes or so, and you're in, you're out. Amen? Uh, and then second, real quick, I just want to talk about Super Bowl Sunday. And here's why. Uh, Yes, wear your, your sports team. Yes, let's have fun. Yes, let's celebrate. But we're here on purpose to see people give their heart to Jesus. And you've got friends who, who you know need this environment. They need Jesus. They need the church family environment. And we want to give you a great opportunity to be able to get them in this building. And here's how you do that. Hey, you want to go home next Sunday with a 60-inch screen television? People go, uh, I'm I'm listening. Uh, and then invite them here. Everybody, including you, has an opportunity to win that TV. And so we'll do that process. We'll sign up. We'll draw a name right here on stage. And so whether you've been going here since the day we launched or you're visiting today, you have a chance next Sunday to win that TV. And so we're just excited about that. We just believe God's going to bring people in here. They're going to commit their heart to Jesus because everything we do is to build the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? All right, you ready for the word? If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, then you can do that. If not, feel free to look on your phone. You can follow along on the app. They have all my notes. Or you can just watch behind me on the screen. However it is that you tend to uh, read better, we want you to do that. We, as, as they said, we're starting a brand new series today, just a few week long series, nothing crazy, uh, called Scary Close. And the reason why we're starting this series is because I want to take just a few weeks and help us balance out the relationships in our life. Because here's the deal, and I think you can amen this, every second of our day is involving some type of relationship, right? When you wake up in the morning, there's relationship at home, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's your parents. When you get ready to leave, there's relationship with all of the people in the outside world, traffic and, and gas station attendants and, and people who work at Starbucks. And, and then you get to work and you've got relationships with all your coworkers and your bosses. And then after work, you've got relationships with your friends. And then if I haven't uh, named who you have relationship with it, add them into it. Every second of the day, we're dealing with relationships. And listen to me, I've said this before. If you want to be able to live your best life, your relationships need to be healthy. There's no way you can live a happy, best life if your marriage is off, if your relationship with your parents is off, if your relationship with your friends or your coworkers or your boss is off. And so I really want to focus. We're not going to focus specifically, per se, on marriage or on, on parenting because some people in here aren't married and some people in here don't have kids. But I, the principles we'll talk about all across the board, they work in every relationship. 
And we're even doing some applicable things, uh, uh, as you heard, the marriage conference. And so those of you that want more specific focus on your marriage in this series, hey, go to the marriage conference. We'll be launching small groups on uh, February 17th will be sign-ups. And so for those of you that are looking for that family and that friendship and that community, we'll be able to apply it that way. And so we're kind of coming alongside the message series with these different things to be able to help. But I just want to take a few weeks and talk about relationships. I haven't decided this year, but I thought I might even make Darla come up here and co-preach with me one week. And uh, would, would y'all rather us, would y'all, would y'all want to see that? Would y'all want to see me and Darla do that together? Uh, you just cause counseling needed right here on the stage is how we would do that. So I'll see if I can talk her into it. Um, but I want to take every week and I want to just look at a relationship in the Bible, just different relationships. And I want to look and learn what we can learn from that. And so the relationship that we're going to look at today is a relationship between two sisters, Mary and Martha. Okay, so Mary and Martha, they have a brother named Lazarus. He's pretty famous because in the Bible he died and then came back to life. And so we're just going to look at a scenario with them and pull out uh, kind of the beginning principle for this series. Okay, so Luke chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 38. It's only about four or five verses. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, so as they were going from one location to another, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. That'll be important later. She opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary. So you got Martha and her sister Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do this work by myself? Tell her to help me. I love that kind of moment right there when I read this. I have, I have two kids. I have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old, or five, yeah, four-year-old and eight-year-old. And anytime I tell them to do anything, it's that kind of conversation, right? It's, hey, clean your room. But tell her to help me. You know, it's always that constant. So I could really relate to that. Tell her to help me. And then Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. My point in this whole series is kind of shown in those verses, and here's what it is, is that you need healthy relationships. In that moment, there's just something kind of off. Martha's relationship with Mary is kind of off, and her relationship with Jesus is kind of off. You know, the, the conversations and, and the things she's saying is just, it doesn't seem very healthy. And, and, and I believe before we even get started on what we need to do to have better relationships, we need to take just a moment and look at us. Because we can't have healthy relationships if we aren't healthy. Okay? We, we can't have the best of relationships if we are not confident in who we are. And I think that's a lot of the problem for Martha at this moment is Martha is struggling with who she is. And because she's struggling with who she is, she can't have a healthy relationship. I was listening to a message from a Christian psychologist by the name of Les Parrott, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, and he said this, and I had to share it with you, it was so profound. If you tried to build intimate relationships with other people, now understand intimate doesn't always mean the way the world says intimate. I, I have intimate relationships with friends and an intimate relationship with my kids and so on. So if you try to build intimate relationships with other people, watch this, before you've done the difficult work of getting whole, if you try to have an intimate relationship with someone else before you've worked on you, I love this, all your relationships become an attempt 
to complete yourself. If I try to have a relationship with my spouse or with someone I'm dating or with a friend before I make myself whole, before I'm complete, then every relationship I go to will be all about trying to find or trying to complete myself, watch this, through them, right? That's why we go back and forth, relationship, relationship, because we're trying to find our whole self in them, and that wasn't the purpose of the relationship. And so I want to start this whole series by saying this. For us to be able to have healthy relationships, you and I need to become confident in who we are. Once we become confident in who we are, then we can have healthy relationships. Amen? So here we go. Number one, without self-confidence, you will let anything, or we will let anything define us. Without self-confidence, we'll let anything define us. Let me set this up, okay? So again, the verses we read, 38 through 42, you got Martha in the kitchen, and she's cooking and prepping and Windexing the table and doing all this kind of stuff, and Mary is at the feet of Jesus, right? That's what we read. Martha's in here working. Mary's in here worshiping. That's how we read it. I have heard so many pastors preach that Martha was uh, in the wrong place and Mary was in the right place. I- I've heard people preach it like this. You-, you-, you can't have a Martha lifestyle. You need to have a Mary lifestyle. Like I've heard it and I get it and it's, it's true. I understand what-, what they're trying to say. But technically, technically, if we look at Jewish culture, Martha was where she was supposed to be. Let me explain. In Jewish custom, Jewish culture, the the understanding for a woman was that she was responsible for homemaking. That that was her role. Don't don't throw fruit at me or anything. That That was her role, okay? And so it was her responsibility to clean the house and prep the food and serve the food and clean up and and do all that was that was the woman's responsibility in that culture in that time. Okay? A man's responsibility was to follow the rabbi and the teacher and to be a disciple of them, to learn the Torah, to learn the Pentateuch, and to be able to come up a disciple of that teacher or of that rabbi. So now watch this. Whenever a rabbi or a teacher was teaching, his disciples would sit at his feet and listen. That was just normal. Like if you go to school, you go into a classroom and sit at a desk, that's normal to you. Then it was normal to sit at the feet of your rabbi or teacher. So knowing Jewish custom, watch this. Martha is where she is supposed to be. According to society, it's where she's supposed to be. Mary, she's pushed her way up in there with the guys, ready to learn from Jesus. And what has happened is Martha has allowed society to define who she is. And I love, because here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, Martha, I get it. I know why you're in there. I know why you're worried as you are. I know why you're a worker bee, because that's how society defines you. He says, however, Mary's figured it out. Mary has understood that the best place for you to be is listening to me. Listen, Martha allowed all of her self-confidence to be defined by her situation. I was reading a book by the New York best best-selling author Donald Miller. Are y'all familiar with Donald Miller? Just an incredible author. And I was reading this book, and he introduced this concept, and I want to introduce it to you. He said, we were all created with self, okay? So I'm going to give it to you in kind of a picture the way he did it. He drew a circle, and he wrote the word self right in the middle of it, and he said, we were all created with self. So when you were born, you were created with self. Can, can y'all see that? Let me move this up. 
You were created with self, okay? So this is you, maybe at one, two, three, four, whatever. He says, then a situation happened. He called it shame, but a situation happens to us. He said, most of the time it happens when we're young, but it happens to everybody. There's some, I I put the word situation because it may be wrapped more uh, around um, pain and, and hurt than it is shame, but something happens to you that covers up yourself, okay? So you had you, it was you, you were funny, or you were silly, or you were serious, or you were cool, or whatever you were, it was you, and then something happened. It, for me, my parents got a divorce at 11 years old, and it was just a horrible experience. I don't know if that was the earliest thing, it's the earliest thing I can remember. Something happened that caused this circle of shame, or, or whatever, to define and to cover up who I was. Then he says that we naturally then form a different, I called it false self, he calls it costume. And he says that we create this other self to cover our shame, to cover the effects of the situation we went to, and we create, how he said it, a costume of ourselves. I, looked, I thought about it like this. We put on a mask, right? So, so watch this. We put on this mask, so we got self. Y'all like this? Look, I'm peacocking, hashtag peacocking. You know how we were? Um, this is really ticklish. And so you have self, situation happens, shame happens, and you put on this costume, and now there's like a new self, right? It's the false self, and this is the way you present yourself to everybody. And so when you get into a relationship, you're not in the relationship as you, you're in the relationship as your false self, right? Whether it's friendship, dating, marriage, and what normally happens is it takes 10, 15, 20 years for your spouse or your friend to find out what's under the mask. And when they find out what's under the mask, they realize it was never you to begin with. You, you just kind of whatever that self is. Some of you, again, church is the worst place for it. Church is normally a room full of people wearing a mask, trying to be somebody they're not. And that was never Jesus' intention. His intention was be yourself. But something happens and we become shameful of who we are. And we put on this false self. And so we go to school as false self. And we go to work as false self. And we go on a first date as false self. It's why you, when you go on a first date with somebody, like, they just seem perfect. You know what I mean? Like, that, like when they burp, it just smells like perfume. Like, everything just seems perfect because they, they are presenting themselves. Tell me if I'm right. The way y'all dressed up, guys and girls, for your first date is not how you dress up when you and your spouse go on a date anymore, right? It's just, it's different. It's different. When it just, it, you just, it's this false self. But here's what I'm learning. The longer we remain in false self, the further we get away from who we actually are. And the more this kind of becomes permanent self. I, I thought this was a funny illustration. The Lord reminded me of this. When I was about 16 years old, I got a job at Putt-Putt. Is it, do y'all know what putt-putt is? There's one in Memphis, and I, I don't know there are different things out here. But it's a golf and games and, and sports thing. So I got a job there, and as soon as they saw me, they saw all the purpose and potential that I had to, to do great things. And they said, you should be the mascot of putt-putt. I said, okay. 
So they put me in this large orange golf ball. That's what I was. I, I had tights on, which were about like these pants, and, and I had the big feet, which were about like these boots, but I had this large orange golf ball, and the eyes to the character were like up here, okay? Now remember, I was 16, and so you couldn't see. Like, you, there was, it was impossible. You were just walking around looking at the inside of a large foam golf ball. That's all you did. And you could hear people going like, I don't remember, what, let's just say his name was Putty. I don't remember what his name was. Like, hey, Putty, and you're like, but you don't know who you're looking at. You're just waving, right? So here's what they did. They assigned you an escort. And the escort kind of plays it like they're just your friend, and they keep your arm wrapped in their arm, you know, and they'll just kind of say things like, all right, walk forward, walk forward. And they're waving. Hey, hey, putty. I don't know. I really wish I knew his name. Hey, 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 putty. There's somebody over there. Wave at him. Wave at him. And then literally they would say things like, hey, there's a kid coming up. Because you can't see. And so they'd be like, get ready, get ready. He's about to hug you. And so, you know, you'd be hugging him. Okay. So now I'm 16, and the escort they gave me was 16. You're already there. He was a guy who apparently at 16 years old liked girls. Apparently that's the thing. And so some girl came through, and he took off to go talk to her. And he doesn't care about me, right? He sees a pretty girl. He's gone. And I'm just like out here, just what am I going to do? And so I can hear people saying my name. I'm wa- people over here, I'm waving over here. You know, they're like, man, he's delusional. What's wrong with, with um, I, you know, people. And then I start getting bullied. I can feel people running by and kicking me and hitting me. You know, and I'm from the hood. So I'm like, man, Putty about to get straight up gangster in this place. You know, and, so, and so I decide, you know what, I'm going to go get him. So I don't remember what his name was, but I started calling his name. I could hear him. He's like, I'm over here, I'm coming. And so I start walking towards him. And what I didn't know is some very small child, probably three or four or five, had walked up to hug me. Hold on. The feet I had were really big, so to walk you had to do like this, right? Because you would drag your feet. So you're walking like this. This little kid came up to me. I couldn't see him. And so literally I kicked him in the face first, boom, and then stepped on him. I'm just walking on him. And my other kids are watching this, you know what I mean? They're scarred for life. They're like, I can never go back to put put put. He's mean. He's killing kids. I mean, it was horrible. And then, of course, my boss comes over. He's like, What are you doing? And then the little sixteen-year-old kid's like, I I just stepped away for an emergency. I'm right back. I'm like, Fire him now. That was the last day I ever had to be the put put dude, though. It was gracious. But here's what I learned. You right? Watch this. Here's what the Lord taught me through this. When it comes to costumes and masks, because I don't know about you, but when I'm in a costume. I get a little silly because people don't know who I am. So I act real. When I was in that pub, I'd be like, "Woo!" Y'all are like, he can go beyond that? You know, he's not in the costume now. I just loved it. But I've learned that in a costume, you can impress and you can entertain, but you can't have intimacy. I, I could impress all day. I could, whoa, come on in the pub, pub, woo! I could impress, I could entertain, but I couldn't have intimacy. And that's the same thing with our relationships. When we're operating in this false self, you will be able to impress other people. You'll be able to entertain them. You'll be able to make them think you are cool as can be. But when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, you will not be able to have an intimate relationship because you are not secure in who you are. And so you struggle with who you are, and so you can't open up to them about who you are, and therefore there is a lack of intimacy. I saw a line that I thought was really funny in the, in the scripture we read um, that says, but Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. 
Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Here's kind of how I pictured that. Because when we don't have self-confidence, watch this, we tend to become whoever we need to be for the current situation. You know what I mean? So whatever situation I'm in, if I'm not confident with who I am, I just become who they want me to be. So if I'm in a scenario at work and I need to be this, I become that. If I'm in a scenario at church and I need to be this, right, and I need to be spiritual, I'll become spiritual. I, I, I can quote scripture. There's a verse that says, Jesus wept. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of become whatever you need to become. And here's how it's pictured. Like, like if, if I'm hanging out and, and with a bunch of friends and I realize that, that they need a hero in the scenario, that they need somebody to do it, they need somebody, then I just, you know, I just kind of become that hero. I'm like, let's do this, right? Just take that off and let's, let's go after it. I'm the hero. Let's go. And then I find out, well, we don't really need a hero, but, but we need somebody with, with, with some confidence, someone to kind of strike some fear in the situation. And I'm like, man, don't even play, bro. That's me all day. Let's go. Let's do this, right? Who, who, who you need me to be? Who you need? I'm ready to go. And then I find out, well, I'm in this situation and they don't really need me to be scary. They need me to be the top dog. You know what I'm saying? Bow, wow, wow, yippee yo, yippee yay. Where are my dogs at? Oh! Did y'all hear that? I need Jesus. And literally, y'all, we just keep on balancing them. Well, what you need me to be? And this is how we constantly live our life. I just walk into a scenario, what you need me to be? I can be, uh, which one? Which one you need me to be? Get into a relationship, which one do you like better? You like me when I'm funny? You like me when, 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 I'm, when I'm scary? You like me when I'm, when I'm your hero? What, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to be? And we constantly are juggling all these false selves and false identities, and we're distracted by all of the preparation that we have to go into just to have a relationship. Because at some point, we got obsessed with the shame and the situation that our real self was in, so we created all these scenarios and I'll be honest with you, I'm exhausted. And you know, here's what I've learned, is that out of our, exha- out of our exhaustion, we'll get mad at the people we're trying to have a relationship with. Well, I just can't do anything to please you. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, didn't, I didn't ask for all of this. Did you, remember when I told you that it was funny that Martha is the one who invited him into her home? And now here she is complaining to Mary that Mary's not helping her. If I was Mary, I'd be like, bro, I didn't invite them. You knew your house was a mess, right? You should have said, hey, let's go to Chipotle. Like, we didn't need to go to the house. What's wrong? You Don't ask. I was watching the game. Now you're including me. And this is what we do. We get mad at people because we've put ourselves in this situation where we're constantly having, I can't please you. I don't know if I should be funny, if I should be scary, if I should be the top dog. I don't know what I should be. Just be you. And understand that, hey, if you got problems, you got problems. In the very beginning, just recognize that you're not perfect. Can we just, can we just start the series that way? Christ died for imperfect people. Why do we keep trying to be perfect? 
If you're perfect, why did he die? And so just accept the fact that, man, when you were three, this happened. When you were eight, that happened. When you were 11, it happened, and it messed you up. But take off the mask and take off the false self and just be you. My favorite show to watch is The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I I actually have a, a firm belief that you can watch two shows, the entire seasons of all the shows, and you will get every life lesson you could possibly need. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and The Boy Meets World. If you watch those two, you don't even need to come to church anymore. Just watch those two shows and your marriage will be fine. Everything will be fine. There's this one episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, though, and it's actually funny because there's another similar one to Boy Meets World, but I won't share that one. Um, Where Will Smith, who's just my hero, he, 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 he meets this girl that he wants to impress and he finds out that even though she's rich and proper, she, lo- she wants a bad boy. That's what he finds out. She wants a bad boy. So he starts acting, you know, yo, 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 baby, yo. He starts coming up with all these stories about how he was in prison for punching a kid in the third grade and all this kind of stuff, just making up stuff. And she's like, ooh, yeah. Well, then he, he meets her dad. And he's like a doctor or something, and he's all proper, and he wants like a a young man with a future to date his daughter. So then Will Smith becomes Mr. Smithers. And it's so funny because when he's around the girl, he's like, he walks like this, you know, he's got like this little walk when he's with her. And then when he gets around her, he closes one eye. He's like, hello, my name is Mr. Smithers. And he just goes on throughout the whole episode. He's Mr. Smithers. And then like the dad will walk out, and she'll walk up, and he'll be like, and she'll go, what were you saying about this? I I told her, I told him if he don't leave, I was going to punch him in the face. You know, and then he'd come back. And he'd run over, oh, hello, Mr. Smithers. And he does this the whole time. And at the end of the episode, the daughter and the dad kind of catch him. And he's trying to do them both. You know, he's like, well, right. and he's mixing them up, you know. And finally he just says, I'm exhausted. And he's like, neither one of them are me. I'm not Mr. Perfect, and I'm not the bad boy. I'm just the Fresh Prince. It's just who I am. And you know what was so profound about that moment if you watch TVs for biblical principles like I do? is that he lost both relationships. The dad walked out, and so did the girl. Because he was trying to impress everybody, and he couldn't impress anybody. <laughs> and I was reading in Luke, as we're studying in Luke, Luke, Luke 9 says, this is so, so powerful. What good? Just say, what good? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, to have Mr. Popular, Mrs. Popular, what good is it to have all the, what good is it to have the most Instagram followers? What good is it to have the most retweets if you forfeit your very self? Wow, that was way better than y'all responded. That messed me up. What good is it to get all of this popularity and fame for a false self? If at the end of the day, I don't know who I am. Because when I get home, I'm exhausted. And nobody cares. And I find out that the very people I'm trying to impress have the same problems I have. And they would have liked me just the way I was if I would have just been the way I was. And so I need self-confidence. Because without self-confidence, I let anything and everyone define who I am. Second. Without self-confidence, so first, let me say it like this. Without self-confidence, then anything will define us. Second, without self-confidence, comparison will divide us. It'll flat out divide us. So crazy how the word works. Because you have this issue with Martha and Mary. Then watch this. In verse 40 and 41, she comes to him and she says, Lord, 
Don't you care that my sister, her, has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. She starts comparing herself to Mary. It's no longer what Martha's doing. It's what Mary is not doing. And listen to me, y'all. We live in an age and a day where it's so easy to compare ourselves to other people. I could give you five seconds and you could jump on Instagram and you could compare your marriage to somebody else's marriage. You could compare your parenting skills to somebody else's parenting skills. You could compare your vacation spot to their vacation spot. You could get on Ron right now and compare this church to uh, 10,000 other churches. You could compare my preaching to 10,000 other preachers. We are in the world of comparison. And because of that, if we don't have self-confidence, watch this, we look to people for two things. Number one, we look at them to tell us who we are. There, that's a whole sermon by itself, that I'm looking to imperfect people to tell me who I am. It's a problem there. But here's the one I hate worse. We look at other people to see how we're doing. How, how am I doing? How's, how's my marriage doing? Well, you know what? My buddy, man, you follow him on Facebook. His wife stays posting little memes and stuff about him. I don't, my wife never gave me a meme. How, how am I doing as a parent? Well, I'm just going to tell you this. There's three kids at the church who are dumber than my kid, so I'm doing good, right? right? Don't play like y'all ain't done it before. Don't play like y'all ain't done it before and be like, that kid runs into the wall and you're like, whoo, <laughs> My kid's smart. You know what I mean? It happens. It's just the comparison concept. It happens. And if we're not careful, we just start comparing ourselves and looking left and right for how are we doing and so on and so on. I started kind of picturing this. When I read the Bible, I like to, I like to be there. I like, I like to treat it like I'm watching, you know, like a document, like The Office, the Bible done by Michael Scott. You know what I mean? Like I want, I want to watch it. I want to be. And so I'm picturing this. Watch this. Mary's at the feet of Jesus, right? And she's worshiping. That's kind of how, that's kind of what we got. Martha's in the kitchen working. Here's what I pictured. Here's, here's Mary. She's in here. Here I am to worship. Here I, we'll come back to that for a second. Um, don't, wanna, don't want to really like, intimidate y'all with my good singing skills. But, but I'm picturing Martha in the kitchen slamming stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You, you know when your wife's mad and she's going to cook and she's, every pan is like, I'm just making some, some food. And she's closing the cabinets. Boom! Like, what are you doing? Nothing? Like, you mad? No! And just slamming. Boom! I can just see Martha. She's slamming cabinets. She's kicking stuff. She's moving chairs, breaking windows, bringing all the attention to her. Like, do you see me? Do you see me? And do you see her? And then I took it to this level. Mary's over here. Here I am to worship. Here I She's dancing like a ballerina. Am to bow down. Here I am to say that. You're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to, I'm sorry, I mixed up a little bit. Here's Martha. <laughs> Here I'm in this kitchen, making all your breakfast, cooking all your food and Washing your dishes! Just mad. Just a comparison. Just, are you kidding me? Look at her, Jesus. Look at me. Look at her. If we're not self-confident, we'll look at us 
And then look at them. Well, look how they're doing it. Well, look how Can I be transparent? Some of you who are visiting right here, you'll be like, man, what in the world did I just walk into? That dude has lost his mind. I mean, I'm going to be so transparent. I try to be very transparent from the stage, even when it, it, it could cause you to walk out of here and think about me differently. But it just is what it is, okay? I just got to be real with you. So in the church world, comparison is the worst. It, it's, the, uh, it's the absolute worst. Um, church world is one of those jobs. Like, it's like for you, if you have a secular job, there's times where you're kind of affirmed that you're doing well. Whether it's a bonus, whether it's uh, your boss telling you, whether it's a, a, a um, help me out, what, what is it called when you get a, a huh? promotion, thank you. That's how much I don't get one. I don't even know what it's called. And, uh, and so there's just different ways to kind of affirm to you that you're doing well as an employee. Church world, you don't really get that. Um, and, and, then it, and then what really ha- ends up happening is, you know, like on, on your worst weekend, you, somebody calls you and says, hey, I hate you and your church. We're not coming back. Like, oh, thanks. Appreciate it. And so it's just, it's just the church world. It's just how it works, okay? If you ever want to take me to food, uh, I'll tell you all about it. It's stressful. So pray for me. Um, but but, but it's, just, it's just the church world. And so comparison is huge. And nowadays with, with Instagram and social media, it's, it's horrible. Because used to, unless I went to another church, which I'm normally busy on Sunday mornings, then I wouldn't know what was going on at any other church. But because of social media, I can get off this stage and within minutes be looking at other churches that had better days, per se, than I did. And so it's really difficult. So let me tell you the story. So I, I found out about six months or seven months after we launched that um, a church, a guy was planning a church in Franklin, Tennessee, which is, what, 45 minutes away or so? And he was actually here visiting on the day that we launched just to see how we did. He, he found me after service, said some really nice things. And so about six months in, in case y'all don't know, we, we, we were having, uh, we, we were doing slow growth. So right now our church is about 150 people. But, but in the early days, there were Sundays where there were less than 20 people in this auditorium. Like, it, it was hard. We, we were starting a brand new church, right? We under, y'all understand that. But it's just difficult. And so the day he launched and then weeks go by, I'm watching him on Instagram. And whoever took his social media pictures, it looked like there was seven or 800 people in their auditorium. And it looked incredible. And instead of going, man, God is great. That's another 700, 800 people following Jesus. We got 150. They got 800. That's not 150. God's good. Instead of doing that, I started going, well, what did I do wrong? Why weren't there 700, 800 people at Victory Sunday? What, what, you know, and I started comparing myself to him, and I instantly, watch this, I instantly became inferior to him. Man, what, what does he have that I don't have? Is he a better preacher than me? Is he, does he have more lights than me? Did he, did he, you know, maybe he spent more money on promotion. I just, your mind just goes crazy. And, and that's the first thing that happens with comparison is as soon as we find somebody who we think is doing better than us, we become inferior to them. I'll never be like them. I'll never be as good as them. That's my problem. Well, check this out. And I'm, I'm being so transparent, man, y'all better hug me. And so months go by, and I have a friend who's friends with him. Okay, we have a mutual friend. And I was hanging out with my mutual friend, our mutual friend, and I'm talking, and I said, yeah, man, you know, my, your, your buddy in Franklin, da, da 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 And he goes, yeah, man, it's been tough for him. I said, been tough for him? He said, yeah, man, he said he's, I, I think he's under 100 right now. And this has been about three or four months he's been going. I was like, under 100? And he goes, yeah. He said his launch wasn't as big as he expected and da 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 and, and I instantly felt superior to him. Oh, well, he's done, he doesn't have 150 yet? Well, maybe he can't preach like me. Maybe he doesn't have the lights we have. Maybe he didn't do promotion like we did. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. But it's me, y'all. I'd love to tell you that that's not me. I'd love to tell you that I don't ever struggle with that, that I'm as holy as I can be, that when I eat breakfast, birds land on my hand. <laughs> but I'm just, it's just, it's self. 
It's just, we just did a whole series about trying to kill self. He's still alive and he came back kicking. It's just self. One moment I'm inferior to the man, the next moment I'm superior. He doesn't even know who I am. doesn't matter what he's doing. doesn't matter God's doing his own thing. Listen to me. Can you hear this? Comparison will only make you feel one of two ways, inferior or superior, and neither one honor God. Neither one. The moment you feel less than somebody, you are not honoring God. And the moment you feel better than somebody, you are not honoring God. God didn't make you to be better. God didn't make you to be less. God made you to be you. And there is a purpose for you and there is a purpose for them. And there is victory for you and there is victory for them. And there's hardship for you and there's hardship for them. But you have got to quit looking side to side. Because if you don't know who you are, you let everybody else tell you who you should be based off of who they think they are. Does it get any twisted than that? And I've read this verse, y'all, a hundred times. But as I'm studying for this sermon, the Lord put it in my path, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I've never seen it as a comparison verse, but this is the most profound thing I've ever read, okay? Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, watch this. Therefore, I'm going to read it, then I'm going to explain it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I've read that so many times. I, I pulled so many things out of it for me. Let me show you what God showed me this time. Therefore, since we are surrounded, watch this, by a great cloud of witnesses, since you and I are surrounded by people who've done it better than we did it, since we're surrounded by all the GOATs, the GOATs, the MVPs, since we're surrounded by the ones who have done it greatly and that we'll never be able to be them and since we're surrounded by them let us throw off everything that hinders us let us throw off the sin of comparison because comparison will entangle us and it'll cause us to no longer be productive for the kingdom of God because we're so in, in, inferior to who we are and to everybody around us let us throw it off and then watch this my favorite part and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a race marked out for you. When I, when, I, when I do the praying and walking at the gym, there's three little lanes, three lanes, and I can see as I'm walking the, the little white lines, and so I know when to stay in the lane. I know how to stay in the lane, and one time I was telling uh, B, one time I was, in the, I was in the third lane. Apparently, there's a running lane. I didn't know that because I don't run. Um, the Bible says only the wicked run, so I don't run. And uh, that's out of context. Don't go home with that. And so I'm walking, and this guy comes up. He goes, uh, you're in the running lane. I was like, uh, then run. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, and so, so, but I understood, so I got back in my, I didn't say that. I'm a Christian. And so I got back in my lane, and I understood. So, so he says, run the race that's marked out for us. Don't look at the people and what they're doing in their lane, but run your race in your lane that's marked out for you. And then Paul even addresses this, and fix your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. Don't look at them. Don't look back and go, oh, I'm better than him. <laughs> I'm running faster than you. You'll never catch me. Don't look up and be like, oh, I'm slower than him. I'll never catch him. Don't look. Be in your race that's marked out for you and fix your eyes on Jesus and be excited about your place. And then I felt the Spirit of God tell me this in the most 
spiritual way. He said to tell you, stay in your lane. Stay, look at the person beside you and say, stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. That's like a saying right now. Stay in, that's, that's what the Lord has for us. Stay in our lane. Quick, if that, okay, that's fine. If that verbiage doesn't work for you, right, I got a better one for you. Ready? All right, here's a better one. Look at him and get ready to say this. Here you go. You didn't want to say, stay in your lane. Say this. Do you, boo-boo. Say, do you, boo-boo. I'm going to get everybody with them two statements. You're either a stay in your lane or you're a do you, boo-boo. But, but just, just focus on yourself. Focus on yourself. Quit trying to compare yourself to everyone and everything. And find the self-confidence of who you are. Take off the mask and find your self-confidence in who God's created you to be. And then we can actually talk about healthy relationships. But if we don't find our self-confidence, watch this, we will not be able to connect because we'll constantly be trying to compete. And you can't connect with people when you're competing with them. And when you're looking for your completion in those relationships, they'll never give it to you. When you're trying to find uh, your value in being superior over somebody, you'll never find it. You need self-confidence so that you can have healthy relationships. But how do we do that? And I studied this for days because I really wanted to make it very applicable for you. But self-confidence is an interesting thing. Like, I'm not a psychologist, okay? My wife is, but I'm not. Um, I need a psychologist, but I'm not one. And so I'm processing through some things. Let me, can I just show you what the Lord showed me, and then we'll, we'll pray and go. In John chapter 12, there's a similar story. I thought it was the same story from a different perspective, but the more I studied it, it's not. It's different. Now watch this. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, (laughs) and Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, bear with me. Jesus is at their house for another meal. Martha is serving again. Mary is at his feet again. This is the same scenario we just read about in Luke 10. Martha in the kitchen, Mary at his feet, Jesus at the table. Same scenario, same situation. But did you notice what was different? I didn't see any complaining or comparing. It looked like Martha was confident in what she was doing. It says Martha served. It didn't say Martha served and went around banging pots and pans and, you know, put a, had a hand on her hip, you know, the whole time. She just said Martha served. So I see confidence in one and I see a lack of confidence in the other. What changed? And we could do this all day. We could, we could talk about what we think, why I think, and this and that. I actually had a couple reasons, but the more I read and studied, this is kind of what I settled on. And here's why I feel like we can be accurate with this. is because Martha's only uh, mentioned one more time in the Bible. So she's mentioned in Luke 10, she's mentioned in John 12, she's mentioned one more time. So we got Luke 10, we got John 12, and one other thing happened in between. One other thing, and it's in John chapter 11. Now before you read this, let me set you up. Mary and Martha's uh, brother Lazarus had died, and they they reached out to Jesus and said, oh I'm sorry, he was sick. They reached out to Jesus and said, hey, Lazarus is sick, can you come heal him before he dies? Jesus didn't get there in time, Lazarus died, Jesus shows up late. Mary comes out with all, just 
fire, fire and brimstone. She comes out to approach Jesus and says, bruh, where were you at if you were here? My brother would still be alive. And then here we pick up with Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And I love this. Martha answers, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's like talking to somebody about Jesus and they go, I know I'm going to go to heaven one day. Right? She, she just starts kind of putting out theology. Like, I know technically one day he'll rise again. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not what I'm talking about. Watch this. Jesus, I, I just believe Jesus gets just oh, right in the face and just says, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? To which Martha responds, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's coming to the world. Let me tell you what I think happened. I think Jesus said, once you become confident in who I am, then you will be confident in who you are. But until you're confident in who I am, notice he said, who believes in me will. We will never have self-confidence if we aren't confident of who Christ is. Because the second we become confident of who Christ is, we can be confident in who we are. Can I say this? And, and if you're going to tweet anything, tweet this. If you don't quit seeing yourself as worthless, you're never going to be able to worship a God who saw you as worthy, for, worthy of dying for. See what I mean? You've you got to be able to get the right perspective of Jesus. And as long as we have this whole false self, and we try to develop confidence over this false self, it doesn't work. But what I believe Jesus does is he kind of takes that mask off and says, it was that self that I died for. Qu quit trying to cover it up. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. And I think when Martha got that, the next time Jesus came over, she was confident in what she was doing. Oh, I'm serving. It's what I do. You can sing all you want, but girl, I make a mean souffle. She was confident. She was like your grandma who be in there cooking greens and she just knows. You know what I'm saying? Like you try to give her a recipe and she's like, don't put that near me. Like I measure butter with my fingers. Like she's just a, she's just a oh gee, this confidence. And I think Martha had that because she finally understood who Jesus was. I'll say this and I promise you I'm done. I, uh, my entire, I didn't realize this till recently. This is probably the best thing I got out of the fast. Um, I've always struggled with calling God Father didn't realize that till the fast. I, I like to call him Lord because I, I see him in that capacity. But I think it's important that you can call him Father because he's also that in your life. And I never really knew why. Like, when I would hear my wife pray, she would always call him Father. But I wouldn't. And um, through this fast, the Lord kind of showed me that what was happening Yo, my dad was the best dad. The best dad. The best. He, he is. He just doesn't live here. I don't mean like he didn't pass. Right? He is the best dad. And because he loved me so much, I, I could never, because I knew me. Like I knew what a horrible person I am and the thoughts I have and the mistakes and all this kind of stuff. I could never, I could never connect him with my dad because I couldn't believe that God could love me the way my dad loved me. Because God knew me. So I, I struggled with that. And I didn't really realize all this to the fast. And, and um, I'm praying one morning. And just clear as day, 
It wasn't anything profound. I just was praying, and all of a sudden, I just kind of started calling him Father. And I just felt the Spirit of God say, listen, what you call me is not dependent on how you see yourself. It's how you see me. And that's, to me, that's self-confidence. It's to quit trying to see yourself as better than you are and just recognize that you are in Christ. And so when you're in Christ, you are everything you need to be. And when you can become confident of who Christ is in you, you can take off all those masks and you can just be you. And now that you're you, you can actually have healthy relationships because people are getting you and not some type of costume. Make sense? I'm a little too deep for y'all. Some of you are like, well, you went from joking to crying. This is weird. I just want you to get it. Because I think next week I'm going to preach to you about how to deal with people who suck. That's going to be fun. Um, but, but before we can move forward, gosh, please, please, please become confident in who you are in Christ. Because I'm telling you, you're great. You're great. You're so great that to him you were worth dying for. Lord, we thank you. For your faithfulness, for your word, for your spirit, for your freedom. If I have any prayer for today, it would be that somebody who's been operating behind some costume and some mask would just lay it at your feet and say, you know what, I am who I am.